when I'm coding all night. Project won't compile, it'll be alright. Computer science for life, and that's my direction. Instead of B-Balls, my home is throw exceptions. Welcome to Dangerous Minds, where we delve into the minds of biohackers, grinders, and take a closer look at the tech being implanted and developed by this community. This is a special edition of DMP Tonight, a recording of the Borgfest Law Symposium, put out with the help of Austin's very own Body Hacking Con. We definitely want to thank them for sharing with us the content, as well as the Borgfest meetup for hosting these events. If you'd like to know more about the Body Hacks Con, please go to bodyhackingcon.com. And remember, when you purchase your tickets, use coupon code Dangerous Minds to get 10% off your purchase. Plus, if you're in the Austin area, please check out meetup.com orgfest-meetup-group and learn more about the exciting topics that they cover. Up first, before sharing this recording with you, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Dangerous Things, who delves cu delivers custom gadgetry for the discerning hacker and biohacker. So check them out at dangerousthings.com. And if you or your organization is interested in sponsoring the efforts of the Dangerous Minds podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at dangerousminds.io and or email us at info at dangerousminds.io and we'll be glad to talk to you about it. Well, I thought I'd just give a really brief, to start out, a really brief overview of how LGBT laws developed over the, over the years. Um, in preparing for this, I did a search in all American case law for the word cyborg, just to see what was out there, to see if there was any law that was directed at cyborgs that had anything to do with cyborg rights or discrimination against cyborgs. Um, and there were 83 cases. None of them involved cyborg rights or discrimination against cyborgs. Um, most of them were copyright infringement cases involving the, the movie Terminator. Um, by the way, was, was the Arnold Schwarzenegger character a cyborg? Or was he an android or a robot? Which movie are we talking about? Uh, the first one. <laughs> Because um, the, the definitions are important to this discussion. We kind of didn't get into it in the first panel, um, but I think we are more in the second and third panels. Um, but let's put that side, uh, aside just for a second. Um, most of the references to cyborgs were negative. Uh, and it came up uh, several times in a standard for a judge's recusal of himself. And the standard, and they use a quote, was judges shouldn't be considered like unfeeling cyborgs. And most of the other references that weren't just, you know, about the movie or about a book or about copyright infringement. Remember whose quote that was? I don't remember what quote that was. Um, I think it was from a First Circuit decision in the Northeast in New England. Um, but you can find it pretty easy if you have access to a, to a search thing. Let's put in unfeeling cyborg. Um, um, and the, the law, statutory law, frequently follows public opinion. So right now we have probably not a very good public opinion of what we're 
going to call cyborgs. Um, and that's, that's kind of important in the development of LGBT law and LGBT rights. Um, and the, the, the example, <clears throat> an example starts with laws protecting racial minorities, particularly African Americans. African Americans were invisible in Hollywood, except as servants, you know, media, menial side characters are, you know, the, the early version of black exploitation films on up through the 50s. Only in the late 50s and early 60s did Hollywood start portraying black characters in a positive light as main leading characters. Um, you remember the early Sidney Poitier movies and Harry Belafonte. And then they started showing up on television a few years after that, in the mid-60s with I Spy and Julia, if you're, any of you are old enough to remember that. And that coincided with the passing of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and 1965, the Voting Rights Act. So statutory law kind of follows public opinion and public opinion is frequently set by Hollywood. You can see the same thing with, um, with gay and lesbian civil rights. Gays and lesbians were pretty much invisible in Hollywood, except as freakish characters or villains, or remember Silence of the Lambs, which wasn't that long ago, and the villain was this kind of weird, freaky, maybe gay, maybe who knows, maybe trans, we don't know. Um, but then you started getting positive depictions of gay and lesbian characters, um, and you started getting them in television shows, Will and Grace. Um, and not too long after that, <clears throat> um, Massachusetts was the first state to legalize same-sex marriage, and then other states began to, began to follow, and the Supreme Court started issuing opinions. Lawrence v. Texas in 2003 struck down the Texas sodomy statute, and all that kind of led to, um, I wish the name of the case were a better name. Uh, I always have to look it up. All I, can, I, I always think of Omer Gamoral, but that's something completely different. It's a passion play in Austria. But the name of the Supreme Court marriage case, you know, I should remember that, but uh, uh, Obergefell, Obergefell, if that's where you put the right stress in the. So we get the Obergefell decision. Um, and that, that decision kind of put the cart before the horse because it's a marriage equality decision. Um, and the court did not, it was based on uh, right of liberty under the due process clause of the 14th amendment and also equal protection under the 14th amendment and the the the, the gold ring for the lbg community was to get suspect class status which means any law that discriminates against you harms you has to be has to be examined constitutionally at a much higher level strict scrutiny if you don't have that status then the laws that affect you are, are examined uh, for constitutional purposes at a much lower level, a reasonable basis. <clears throat> and in um, declaring that there was a constitutional right um, for same-sex marriage, they did the analysis at the lowest level, rational basis. Um, so we didn't get the golden ring. We got marriage equality, but not the golden, golden ring. Um, but it, the, it, kind of, it kind of jumped over a more important issue, which is uh, same-sex couples can be married now in all 50 states, but in 29 of those states, they can be fired from their jobs for doing it. There is no protection of gay and lesbian people uh, in the employment 
federal employment statutes, any federal statute. It's all state by state. And I believe, I, I haven't counted in a while, but I think it's 21 states have protection uh, based on sexual preference. Um, and um, the interesting thing about that is under Title VII, which is the federal uh, anti-discrimination in employment act, which protects against discrimination based on like everything except sexual orientation. And the courts, and this comes back to what Pete was just talking about, the courts have kind of taken that and tried to work their way around the fact that Congress has never added sexual orientation and has come up with some bizarre results because of that, which um, pertain to the subject of trans rights, um, which is anyone, an employee, who doesn't conform to gender norms, in other words, non-masculine men and non-feminine women, are protected based on gender equality and the protection uh, against employment discrimination based on gender. Um, so the result of that is that trans people generally are protected in employment under federal law but gay and lesbian people, most of them, are not. And that's just kind of a, a, a side effect of, um, of Congress not being willing to create a federal nationwide protection for gay and lesbian people. Um, now, trans rights. Um, trans people have generally been invisible in Hollywood, as you all know, until recently. Hollywood is now picked up the football on that one and is running with it. Um, and uh, trans rights cases are working their way up through the courts. And as you all probably know, there was a Department of Education opinion letter which said that all public high schools, well, not all public high schools, the opinion was directed just at one high school in, in or school district in Illinois, but were required to allow trans students to use the bathroom of the gender which they identified, as they identified. Um, and now there is a, a case has actually worked its way up and is now, and the Supreme Court has decided to hear it and it's coming from Virginia. It's uh, Gloucester Independent School District versus GG, the students initials. Um, and I've read the briefing in that and it's, it's very uninteresting because they do, there's no constitutional claims made. It's all whether the court needs to defer to the Department of Education's interpretation of a 1975 statute about public schools having the obligation to provide different gender bathrooms. Um, so it's not very interesting. It's not, it's not, it's gonna be, if it's, if the Supreme Court um, decides it, um, it will not be a big sweeping decision, which is what we need in this area. It's gonna be a very narrow decision, but <clears throat> something in it that it was very interesting was that the attorneys for the um, the student made the point that this one of the reasons this issue has now come to the forefront is that medical science now allows body modification through hormone therapy, through surgery, through uh, various forms of medical intervention, which is which has which has allowed trans people to be, to actually make the transition. Um, and that's an important 
I think that's an important point for our topic tonight for trans people and for cyborgs. And you know, I'll come back to the I'll come back to the definition, and I'll shut up <laughs> um, and let somebody else talk. Um, which is, is our cyber cyborgs are they defined as the interface between humans and machine, or is it the interface between humans and technology? Because if it's technology, that should include medical technology and biological technology, and it expands the whole question to a much broader, a much broader way. Because there are, as I said, I, at least using the word cyborg, there are no cases that deal with cyborg rights, but there are a lot of cases dealing with what medical intervention in the natural biological processes will do, like performance-enhancing drugs, for an example, is one of many examples. Um, so if, if, we, if we broaden the definition, then we do have existing law. And as Pete said, the law, the law, when the law is confronted with a new issue, they look for analogies that exist that they can base the holding on, because the law doesn't like to just leap into space. Um, it does that sometimes, but it always needs a diving board. Um, so, you know, when in the, the issue of cyborg rights, um, it's still in its infancy, because, you know, the examples that Pete's panel relied on were pacemakers. And eventually that's going, there'll be many, many more examples, but we're not there yet. So the question is, what's the court gonna look at when they get there? Okay, I've gone on long enough now. Um, and I'm not, I'm a gay man, but I am not an expert on the trans community. Um, and Trevor, let's- Well, I mean, I think a big part of this is that, uh, can, we, can we really separate what we are as humans from, uh, from the technology that we've created, from the machines we've created. Mm -hmm. and, and no matter which way you look at it, um, on, on a, a fairly short time, time frame, uh, most of us in uh, countries like this one who have access to technology, uh, if you're not already a cyborg, you're gonna be one very soon. Um, and so I'm hesitant personally to um, uh, lump cyborgs as a different category than non-cyborgs in this circumstance. Because, uh, I mean, I think it definitely creates identity politics around, uh, around cyborgs. And you could say, okay, we all as cyborgs feel like we're having this unique experience. And I feel like if, you, uh, if you're not too careful about that, you'll definitely alienate other groups. And you may, you may end up creating the, the conflict that you're, you're hoping mm -hmm. to avoid in this circumstance. Mm -hmm. And so I think we need to be really careful um, saying, oh, trans people are cyborgs, or oh, uh, people who have been, uh, have had amputations and who have really cool prosthetics are cyborgs, um, and not saying that people who carry around their cell phones are. Mm -hmm. And so it, I think more, more than uh, the description of the, the topic said, that is, are, are cyborgs paving the way for um, uh, trans and, and gender expression uh, to be more, accept, more acceptable? Um, but I actually think it's the other way around. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think a lot of these, uh, a lot of the work that the early gay and lesbian uh, movements did, and a lot of the work um, we're doing around trans identities, uh, a lot of the work that we're doing around freedom of expression in general, um, and these are things we didn't get to in the last panel, uh, but I think that they really uh, will inform that. I think they inform the culture, and I think that they're gonna inform the, 
the perspectives that people are going to have to make these decisions mm -hmm. in the right way. And even if we don't come away with this with, with a constitutional amendment that we can come down and say, oh, hey, uh, we, we have the, the right to morphological freedom is the way the Transhumanist Party phrases it. We have the right to bodily integrity, which is the way it's phrased in a lot of uh, case law and stuff right now, which we don't have a lot of it in the U.S. Um, but I think no matter, no matter which way you phrase it, the, the work the LGBT community is doing um, is, is going influ to influence more of that. Uh, let me see. Oh, yeah. So I think one of the things that's really important is that um, where we got the notion of cyborgs and uh, gender and sexual identity, it came from Donna Haraway. And a lot of that was, was written as a rejection of this, um, I identify as, as a woman, and therefore uh, all of these things apply to me. Um, I think it's really easy to get into essentialism, and it's really easy to get into, um, again, creating conflict that doesn't necessarily exist. So if I, I identify myself as, as myself, um, and you as another, then I'm always putting myself in a position to where um, I'm going to choose my, my own benefit over you every single time because that's what's ingrained in my brain. Like, that's, that's what makes you survive. And so I think these um, dichotomies in some way are false, and I think mm -hmm. we have to be really careful of mm -hmm. them um, because I like saying that my grandmother is a body hacker and uh, my grandmother's already a cyborg. And actually, I think most, most of our elderly fall under this category, even if we look at um, are you integrated with machines because mm -hmm. most of us are integrated with machines. Um, I can't do my job without my cell phone. Like, I mean, that's, I'm, I am integrated with that machine. If it is not within arm's reach of me, I'm wandering around looking for where I put it down. Um, and so I definitely feel as, uh, as a, a trans-identified non-binary person um, that there's a lot uh, in, in cyborg culture and in um, cyborg laws and other things that we think of as, as cybernetic problems that, that are the same problems, but I don't necessarily mean mm -hmm. uh, think that you can conflate those two as, as identical groups. Yeah. So. I, <clears throat> I, I agree with that. Um, categorization is, is, is generally socially not a good thing. And uh, an example are, is, the, is the references to cyborgs. You know, cyborgs are a label. Cyborgs are a category. Cyborgs is that guy with the, that thing with the red eyes and Terminator. Cyborgs are bad. So categorization is, is, is not a good idea for if you're, if you're looking to change the law in your favor. And the attorneys for the student in the case that's now in front of the Supreme Court really did a good job of conveying that in their briefing because the, the kid, he didn't want to be the poster child for trans rights. He was just, he was just a kid who was born. He wanted to go to school. He, was, he wanted to go to school. He was born the wrong sex and it tormented him all of his life. And he started doing hormone therapy when he was a freshman and uh, grew facial hair, deep voice. He looked like a boy. And there was no problem with him using the boys' bathroom in the school until parents found out that there was this trans kid using the bathroom. Students didn't care. Parents pitched a fit. Um, and the school board buckled under pressure and um, passed a rule, um, school district-wide rule, that trans students, that each school had to create a separate private bathroom, lockable, for strand students to use because they couldn't use the bathroom of the gender that they presented. Um, and this kid looked like a boy, so the girls didn't want him in their bathroom. 
So, and, and he was caught in the middle of this, and some of his testimony from the district court hearing it was included in the brief, and it was great testimony. He said, I'm just, I wanna to go to school. If I go, if I go to, the, to the freak bathroom, it will stigmatize me. I don't wanna do that. So what he started doing was not drinking water so he wouldn't have not to go to the bathroom, which led to all kinds of health problems. Um, but it's, it was important to him that he not be labeled as anything but just a kid, a student, a boy. Um, and it was, it was clearly tormenting him. So I agree completely on this whole categorization thing. And the, you know, to a certain extent, the categorization of, as cyborgs is artificial, but it's also, <clears throat> it's also important because it sheds lights on a whole range of political, legal, social, everything else um, issues. Um, Do you mind if I push back on the categorization argument just a little sure. bit? Yes. Sure. Okay. So <clears throat> let's go. It's, it's a complicated conversation, as you know. So I, I want to agree 100% with you, but at the same time, I don't agree 100% with you, and that, that is identity politics, all right? So when you think about the, the first gay pride parade, okay. So the people that participate in that didn't all necessarily want to be called gay. Right? And then we included lesbians, and lesbians weren't, weren't necessarily comfortable with being called gay. They have their own word. And so we keep adding the different categories to that parade. L, G, B, T, Q, I, et cetera. Because people aren't comfortable with the umbrella category so much, they wanna say, hey, I'm something a little different. This, this is more like me. And so when I think about the cyborg category, right, and this is kind of my own project when I have this kind of philosophy here, um, I think of the different groups that may share a cyborg category without necessarily identifying with cyborg ever. It's not a comfortable term today, right? However, you may have members of the disability community, you have many members of the veterans community, some in the uh, medical patient community, uh, and then uh, trans, all these different groups, while they may not necessarily identify with any of the other groups that I put roughly in the category of cyborg, they could benefit in the same way that LGBTQI benefits once a year, where they all come together in mass and have a visible force, and then they also share a legislative agenda as well. And so when suddenly when you, when you look at why do veterans, why are they perceived a different way when they interact with their service providers and their technologies from maybe the way uh, an athlete interacts with his service providers and those technologies, et cetera. You see what I'm saying? So the, the idea by, by identifying a cyborg category is to kind of de-siloize these different groups and combine resources. Um, I, I get that, <clears throat> and I completely agree with you in some circumstances. For instance, in I think uh, the idea of a parade, the idea of a festival, the idea of putting people together culturally to celebrate their differences um, and how they're alike in these areas is great. But I think one thing you miss out on is that, for the most part, when identity politics work, it works because you have a group 
that has been oppressed, that has been stigmatized, that has been forced into a category. And only through taking that category and, and turning it around the other way are they able to get any kind of leverage. Um, uh, I feel like cyborgs are just as likely to oppress as be oppressed in this kind of circumstance. And I know we've looked at issues where people have had their, um, their, their antennas pulled off on their head um, in Neil's case, even when he wasn't recording, like it's just, a, it's a camera, it's a sensor. We've had Steve Mann had his Google Glass pulled off of his glasses. A lot of these issues are issues of surveillance. A lot of these issues are issues of, um, I just don't understand what's happening and I'm, I'm scared and I'm upset and I'm reacting. Um, but like we haven't seen people being abused because they're cy because they identify as cyborgs. And so I'm hesitant to create that category and say, hey, look, here we are. This is a category for you to be a, for, for you to abuse and target because look what happened to the trans folks when when I'm going to be a little sensitive about this. Um, a lot of people in the trans community feel uh, like they've been abandoned by the greater LGBT community because um, Trans folks have been involved in a lot of these politics for the past 30, 40 years. Um, a, a lot of work has been done by trans activists in this space, and a lot of it's been done in the background, and a lot of it's been done quietly. And as soon as they get put in a position, as soon as we get put in a position, um, I haven't been super public about some of this, so uh, it's very sensitive. As soon as we put, get put in a position where now suddenly we're visible, you're a target. Like now they've got bathroom bills telling you where you could go to the bathroom when two weeks ago you could just go pee and nobody cared. Mm -hmm. So um, like that's why I'm hesitant to, to do that. I, and I do think that, that uh, trans issues is really interesting here um, because, but again, we can be, we can oppress too. So this is actually a thing that um, uh, some people who look at these ethics issues from the neuroscience perspective uh, there's uh, Jaime Cassio, he writes for um, IFTF, which is the Institute for the Future, uh, had a TED talk called Magna Cortica where he was trying to come up with some of these ideas. Um, we've already talked about uh, the right to your own data. Uh, he added the right to modify, which I really want to talk about um, morphological freedom and bodily integrity some more here because I think that's important to this, this part of this argument. Um, but one of the things that he pointed out is we should have the right to refuse modifications too. Um, there are already companies, there are already organizations who are saying, oh, if you want to work here, then you have to put a chip in your hand. Um, and I mean, to me, that's no big deal, but to some people that is a big deal. And so I think it's just as important as we're writing these perspectives to protect cyborgs, we recognize that there's opportunities for that to go the other direction too. We've talked about surveillance going the other direction. We've, there's lots of ways that people with modifications can take jobs away from people who, who, who don't have these modifications. If I take, uh, like, let's say modafinil was a, a hundred times better. Okay, let's pretend this is limit, limitless, right? You take NZT, uh, this is a TV show where somebody gets super smart when they take a pill if you're not, there's actually a movie and then they made a TV show. Um, but like, so we have nootropics, but they don't work on this kind of scale. But if we had a drug that worked on this kind of scale that made you a hundred times smarter, then all of a sudden you've got to take that drug to compete. Like you can't work. You can't compete with everybody else at, at, wor at work if you can't do that. If you're working in a hazardous environment and you can't have, you, you can't stand that job unless you have a permanent modification that lets you breathe sulfur or whatever. I mean, this is, this is a crazy example, but I mean, and your company forces you to do it. 
Uh, I mean, where, where do we have rights to, to decide what goes in and out of our body, both um, when other people try to compel us to do it, but also when we decide that it's the best thing, uh, right? And so like, there are a lot of problems here, and I think it's, it's easy to, to put ourselves in a, a place, a defensive position, um, and say, hey, we need to protect our own rights. And, and it's really easy to overlook people who don't identify as cyborgs, but in my opinion are certainly cyborgs. And I'll shut up because we've got hands. <laughs> You went exactly where I was going to go with, you know, there's a real, I think there's a real likely scenario that being a cyborg will, will be a, a privilege of sorts too, right? I mean, and, 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 and available only to the privileged in some respect, because many of the cyborg technologies that are, are coming will, and will be augmentation. They'll, they'll give you powers most people don't have. My guess is they'll be extremely expensive, right? And, the, and it seems to me that we're, we're probably on the verge of, of a social development where very wealthy, privileged people gain advantages because of their ability to augment themselves. Significant advantages. Right. And, and, and we may one day be thinking back about how, how, boy, did we miss the boat in this conversation worrying about those poor, oppressed sides. <laughs> right. right. Who, in fact, are you know, not just taking jobs, but potentially doing all types of things that you know is, that really strikes it, you know, messes up the societal balance. Right. In the end, mm -hmm. this is a conversation we have to have together, whether we identify as cyborgs or not. Like this is the way humanity is going, and so we have to have everybody involved in them. Um, yeah, yeah, please. Excuse me. We call that a digital divide right now. Right. Right. Who has this yep. phone versus not? Right. Right. And that, uh, if I have time, I'm going to get into something that is going to get into that in a much bigger way. Called morphological freedom, some people call it bodily integrity. It's effectively the concept that you own the rights to make changes to your body and no one else does. So I really like that concept, but it seems to me that there's, I'm not aware of much legal basis for that. But I think of, for example, drugs, that drugs are a technology that modifies and supplements the body in those respects where we have virtually no freedom to modify ourselves, whether it's nootropics, steroids, whatever. Um, that is highly limited. You know, right now I'm aware of you know, DARPA and the military developing these technologies to um, modify the military to be more effective, and I can see that being something that's also regulated because they don't want uh, a lot of the population um, to be superhuman and pose a security threat. Um, is there any legal basis for that right well, I think this gets really complicated because it really is broken out into lots of different things that are mm -hmm. separately ethical issues. Mm -hmm. um, part of what gets lumped into this often is um, the right to die, and that's a huge can of worms that yeah. I'm not even going to try to get into today because <laughs> there, there are good ethical arguments on both sides yeah. of the fence. We can get into that in the next panel. <laughs> and so, like, I think it's interesting. But, I mean, like, for instance, then there's other stuff like um, I can get tattooed and pierced in Texas, but I can't split my tongue. Right, and that's just because they—that's how they wrote the law. Um, uh, if I decided to go down to a tattoo parlor and get them to cut open my finger to put a magnet in it so I could sense electrical fields, that's not really sure whether that's legal or not. The Texas um, Health Board, health whatever I can't remember what it's called, um, will tell you that they won't give you an opinion on whether it's legal or not. 
Uh, and so, like, a lot of this stuff is just, like, waiting to be tested in yeah. courts. Um, but we mostly, it gets regulated and thought of in the medical area. So, like, uh, this is one thing we talked about earlier is plastic surgery. I don't know if we talked about it or if I read about it. Plastic surgery is okay if you're trying to meet what society accepts as, as beautiful or, like, as long as, you know, 60% of the people you grew up with in church would think that it was a good thing to do. And it's like, if we have these really weird guidelines, it's like, I can't, but I can't split my tongue. But I mean, um, me as a trans person could go to a therapist and I could uh, go through a big, huge, long drawn out process. And then I could get on hormones and then I can get on, I can get probably breast implants. And then you could probably get SRS if you wanted to go through all of that mess. Um, but the fact is, is like part of, and this is one reason why I bring up Donna Haraway in this, is part of this is uh, naturally um, based on the, the concept of what's, what's normal and what's natural, and that's, that's your culture. I mean, that's what, every, that's what everybody else who's not you thinks. And so what everybody else who's not you thinks applies in our case law, and it applies in what's acceptable in medical practice, and it applies in what's acceptable in how we modify our own bodies. And so... Um, this is why I try to, I say that a lot of these are, are cultural problems more than they're necessarily legal problems because mm -hmm. uh, 20 years from now, if, every, if everybody agreed, hey, that's no big deal, we don't care if people split their tongues in Texas, then the law will just either stop getting enforced or we'll write up something that says everybody's got their rights to make changes to their own body as they want. A lot of this also applies in abortion law. Um, a lot of this, uh, there's, there's a lot of different stuff. Um, you have uh, more rights, I think, in European countries usually from being compelled to have these things done to you, but here you don't have a lot of rights in that kind of area. And so I think that that's a big thing that a lot of people bring up is um, the, the, the right to, to do what you want with your own body. Um, so. I just modified um, my physiology uh, through biological invention by taking a pilocarpine because my mouth gets dry when I speak and it uh, stimulates saliva production. And it really works if any of you have dry mouth when you're speaking. So am I a cyborg? Maybe. Um, I was frantically <laughs> writing down points during this whole conversation. And if I can backtrack just a second to some of them, which I think are worth making. Um, it's, it's, it's back to your point about the, the gay pride parades and things were, were great, um, but each, each group, um, each minority group, has a different history because they have different attributes. And the thing with, with being gay, um, and, and there's of course a long cultural difference between gay men and gay women. Um, the Nazis killed gay men. They left gay women alone. Um, they sent gay men to the concentration camps. And when the Allies liberated the concentration camps, they liberated everybody except the criminals, which they included the gay men as criminals and made them serve out their terms, um, just as a little interesting historical aside. Um, I was the president of Austin Shakespeare for a while. This sounds like I'm going way off the thing, but it kind of is, is it, it kind of is pertinent. Um, and the last play we did after I resigned because we couldn't do anything better than this play, in my opinion, it was a Tom Stoppard play. If any of you know Tom Stoppard, he's a brilliant playwright. I think he's the best living playwright, maybe one of the best in Shakespeare. Um, and I think that's the case because neither one of them had much formal education. Um, in The Invention of Love, it's about a lot of things, but it's about, it's about A. Hausman, who was a closeted gay man and a classics professor. Um, 
and the play describes throughout the entire play the evolving concept of a gay person separate and apart from the act of sodomy because there was no concept until very early in the 20th century and in one of the final scenes um, some younger person tells the old houseman you know that the term now it's homosexual he was horrified and he said that's just atrocious and the person said why and he said because it's an unnatural combination of a latin and a greek root <laughs> But the invention of love refers to a lot of stuff in the title. One of the things it refers to is the concept of being gay. And the problem with being gay is that you can hide and nobody sees you. And the, and the purpose of the gay pride parades was to show everybody we're here and we're not ashamed of this and this is who we are and this is the way we are. Um, and and um, you're exactly right. Um, the, the whole LGBT um, movement used to be just G and then kind of L and there was a lot of resistance to adding trans people and one of the pioneers who actually I think was mainly responsible for uh, being added to the movement was uh, Judge uh, Phyllis Fry and she is a judge in Houston now and she was born a man was an Eagle Scout went to uh, A&M, was in the Corps, Air Force, decorated, um, advanced degrees in mathematics and all sorts of things, married in a woman in, in 72, transitioned in 76, and was the first, one of the first same-sex marriages in Texas because his wife, her wife, loved him, her, the person, not the gender, and stayed married to her and they're still married so it was a same-sex marriage but it was absolutely legal in Texas because Texas determines gender based on chromosomes and Phyllis has the chromosomes of a man so in 1976 there was a gay marriage in Texas which is it just shows the fuzzy distinctions between gender that are mostly completely artificial um, and the the point you're making about how cyborgs, how um, people who modify themselves can oppress as well as being oppressed, um, that was the argument of the school district, is the argument of the school district in the case of the Supreme Court, because they're urging the court to think about the rights of students who have to share a bathroom with these people. Um, and apparently the students didn't care, the parents did, but that's the pushback of you don't consider just your rights, you have to consider everyone's rights. And in a situation in which a cyborg, a modified person, um, vision's enhanced, some other thing that's enhanced that allows them to gather more data than most people, so the people around them's privacy interest comes into play, which um, is going to be an issue as this law develops. Um, but then the, the performance-enhancing drug thing that you, you raised, Ed, and I think I mentioned earlier, um, that is kind of the tip of the spear that's already gone into the legal system in one form of modification, biological modification, um, and that obviously involves the rights of others because, um, for example, in cycling, everyone dopes in cycling. If you don't dope, you don't win, so everyone does. 
and there's more sports that are becoming that way because the whole doping thing, it mimics predator-prey theory in evolutionary ecology because as the predator uh, evolves a way to catch the prey and the prey then evolves a way to escape the predator and it just keeps going on in kind of a mathematical progression. It's the same things going on with the technology for, for masking the use of performing enhancing drugs um, and the technology for getting around the, ma the newest masking technique and it just keeps going in the same way. Um, and in the, next, in the next panel, the ethical philosopher that I like, Peter Singer at Princeton, um, one of his issues is performing enhancing drugs. And he said, you should let athletes use performing enhancing drugs as long as it's safe because it levels the playing field. Why should athletes who happen to be born with a set of genes that make them a faster runner or a stronger lifter, why should they have that advantage? You let other people, you let them use in, in, performance enhancing drugs, it levels the playing field. Mutants versus cyborgs. Yeah, yeah. And then that brings up another big, a big issue, um, which is kind of the 800 pound gorilla at the table and the development of cyborg law and the technology to enhance humans through tech, tech being machinery tech, between being man-made things that are added to a body, is gonna pale in comparison to what genetic modification can do. Um, and that is a huge freight train coming right at us, and we are politically, ethically, morally, legally, in every other way, totally unprepared for that. And doctors are already modifying fertilized human eggs and selecting for sex and eye color, and they can, that was last year. Maybe already they can do it for height, and if they can't, they'll do it next month. And pretty soon, they'll be able to do it for strength and intelligence and everything else. You know, the, the, we may be looking at the last generation being born now that will be called randoms in the future because they're not, they're not, uh, they're not modified. They're not selected for the right traits. And if we don't start coming up with laws and treaties and conventions to deal with that, it's gonna be, I mean, it's gonna change everything. And I can guarantee you there are various countries in the world right now that are working on that and are working on super armies that are cyborgs because they're done through technology, but they're done through intervention in biology, medical technology, biological technology. Okay, there's lots, I've talked long enough. Uh, I'll start from that side there. There is another class of people that are that are augmented, and these are disabled people mm -hmm. with prostheses. Right. And they're a largely protected class, and we've done a lot yeah. of things with them. Right. Is there some aspect where that law can be used in the cyborg context? Because a prosthesis, a hand that does things, et cetera, is a cyborg, and the person was disabled before the hand was put on there. I but think that, we've still got a long way to go for that even, though, too, because um, personal injury versus property law, a lot of these things, like if you if you have a leg that you walk on every day that has to be removed from your body to get on a plane for whatever reason, and they lose that, um, any recourse you have is gonna be taken care of under property law, not under personal injury. And like, I mean, you could go weeks, you could go months, you could go a year without being able to replace it while all this stuff gets worked out, depending on your, your fiscal situation. So I do think we have a long way to go still um, in, in protecting 
disabled cyborgs, uh, differently abled cyborgs, um, in addition to other people who, who have parts of them they can remove and put in a carrier for a plane. Um, so I, I, I think we still have a lot of work to do. And, and the ADA is a weird uh, statute yeah. in that if you are disabled, but through a prosthetic or through any kind of enhancement, you can ameliorate the disability, you're not disabled anymore. So if you have poor eyesight and you can wear glasses, it gives you good eyesight, you're not disabled anymore. So it kind of defeats the purpose of using it to protect cyborgs because you know, in, in many cases, what makes them a cyborg uh, at least reduces the amount that they are differently abled. So it kind of defeats itself. Can we get high hands on everybody who's been waiting? Because I know oh, I Doug's been waiting for a little while. Okay, if we're going, okay, the okay. white white T-shirt. If we're going, yeah, if you're, if we're going from left to right. My left. Just scream. <laughs> project. Well, I can easily project. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, you know, it just comes with the history of working and talking in front of people. But plain and simple, my name's Cooper. Uh, that's what I go by because you know, I, I do a podcast called Dangerous Minds, and the very first question I always ask my guests are, please, in your own words, tell me what a cyborg is, what a biohack, a biohacker is, a grinder, and a transhumanist or transhumanism. You keep using the term cyborg or and throw out different variations of it. Could you, both of y'all, possibly a uh, gentleman over here that also chimes in. I don't know who you are. I will ask you after this, but tell us in your own words, what do, what are those terms mean to you? Because if you're going to use it, please give me a baseline to, to be able to go from, whether it be augmentative, um, tech, um, preference, um, perspective, what have you. I can speak to the cyborg thing only, and I kind of wondered the same thing when I was preparing for this. What is the definition of cyborg? How broad is the term? Is it is it only mechanical augmentation, or is it all types of of augmentation? Um, and that kind of makes a difference in the topics we're going to talk about, because depending on what kind of augmentation or intervention you're talking about, it creates different legal issues. Um, so that's a good point, and um, you know I've been trying to kind of address that as I've been going along. Um, and I think the first panel just focused on the mainly on the mechanical augmentation, pacemakers, and things like that. But um, I think it, it 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 gives us more than we could talk about in a month if we broaden it to all kinds of augmentation through biological intervention. But I think that's that is going to overtake the mechanic the mechanical augmentation very quickly and is become going to become a huge issue first before the mechanical augmentation does because it's happening already and it's below completely below everybody's radar right now uh so um i'm kind of a pain in the ass uh we're all high performance machines um and as soon as we realized that and started making conscious modifications to our own bodies to our own thought processes to our own chemical structures in order to achieve goals that we were unable to achieve before that, that's when we became cyborgs. Um, and so uh, if you don't think we're high performance machines, I like to look at the Olympics example 
um, whether somebody's cheating or not. Uh, they've got a team of people who are have sensors on them every day, who are looking at the way that they're running mm -hmm. and tilting them in minor modifications, who are feeding them specific types of food and other input to make sure they're done, that are making sure that they're meditating properly and are making sure they're stretching. Um, I don't see that as any different than uh, a team of people with an F1 car. Uh, they both have a driver. Um, that that runner is uh, the, the driver is, is the conscious individual in, in the seat of it. And I mean, obviously, the F1 car has, has a person with a little wheel. Um, and so I know that that uh, inclusive definition doesn't work a lot of times for people. And so uh, I'm always willing to consider family resemblances definitions of things <laughs> so we can kind of talk about what looks like a cyborg and what yeah. doesn't look like a cyborg, what's more or less. Um, but I definitely view this as a um, trajectory from humans and what we continue to define as human humanity. Uh, we can't separate technology from ourselves because technology comes from us. It comes from our brains. It comes from the ideas that we share with other people. It comes from the interactions with other people. And so uh, it, in some way, it, our technology, our, our, those are our babies, right? And so we've, we we're merely integrating our, um, our babies that come from sex and our babies that come from everything else that we create and do. Uh, from a legal perspective, <laughs> no, no, that's, I mean, we're, we're, we're broadening the definition, and I think that's fine, and I think that, that throws light on some important issues, but from a legal perspective, probably the law is going to stick to what Pete and Ed discussed, which is a question of, is it internalized and part of you, or is it outside right. of you? Um, and that's where, it, at least it is now, uh, but I mean, even pretty much. But, I mean, even still, uh, what happens if you need an exoskeleton that you have to have to, like, move you around? Like, is... If, if I'm using rewalk because I have SMA, which is an exoskeleton, like is that a part of my body now, or is this is this a wheelchair, right? Um, because we've all kind of decided for some reason that you know wheelchairs aren't a part of and, people's bodies. But I think as we as we come out of mm -hmm. some of this stuff, as yeah. we look at cell phones and, right. and case law, mm -hmm. as we look at some of that, we're we're going to naturally have to say, okay, well, whatever's within your reach, whatever. Um, interacts with you of majority of most days of your life, I mean, I think is, is another guideline that yeah. could stretch the existing definition yeah, a little bit. I, I, I agree the argument can be made to expand the law uh, based on that, on that principle. Another, you mentioned exoskeleton, and this sounds, you know, comic bookish and wildly fantastic and stuff, but um, chimeras, because through genetic, we don't have to just work with human genes and genetic modification. Uh, they have implanted spider genes in goats so that goats produce not milk but spider silk. Um, it's very possible. And, you know, again, if there are no controls over what can be done, um, anything can be done. So, you know, it, it's in the not, I doubt if it's possible now, but in the not too distant future, we might be able to have chitinous exoskeletons. Um, that would be cool. Yeah, it would be very cool, and I'll be really <laughs> freaky, and it would just lead to all kinds of weird stuff. So it's, I'm not saying we shouldn't do it, but I'm saying we should only do it under established, agreed-upon rules to get, keep it from getting totally out of control. And, and part of this, I think, is that our own, is, is in our own control. We, we really want things to move from where we are now to where we think things should be as quickly as possible, and I think that that's... Uh, it's a fallacy that we, we have in, in our culture. It's just like, well, I want it now. And so, <clears throat> but sometimes you have to recognize that 
uh, you don't exist in a vacuum that other people may not be where, where you are now. They're not ready to, to take on some of these concepts and ideas. And I think it behooves us <clears throat> to move more slowly than we might as individuals want to move. I mean, I think it's, it's respectful of the people who exist in culture around you. Um, and I don't, I don't know. Um, that's yeah. always a perspective I've had, yeah. and I think it's a safe perspective because I think if you can, you know, <clears throat> give people time to absorb new ideas and give people time to react to things that may be scary to them. So, like, Google Glass, I think, was, was way too quick of a jump, right? If they had Google Glass with a red light on it that said that you were recording and that was highly communicated, then maybe people wouldn't have freaked out. They would have gone, oh, okay, well, you're not recording me right now. It's the same thing if you're carrying a camera around. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, you're just carrying a camera. Uh, I think baby steps... Yeah, um, so, are important, and I think so, that that <laughs> so, in that way we so, can protect so, ourselves. So, 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 oh yeah, sorry, sorry. Uh, we've been we've been going on and not and well, got, uh, got taking no, the questions. No, Okay, so you don't, you're going to pass, Pete, or do you have yeah, a question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was in response to the comments. Yeah. question. Actually, it's um, an observation, number one, today under the Texas health statutes, if you go with your biohack into a hospital and they accidentally remove it, it's not yours. It's organic, regardless of what it is, and the state will take it and destroy it, so make sure you back up whatever you have before you go into a Texas hospital. But it's back to the, the is there a valid differentiation between um, Mechanical technology or biotechnology, in terms of uh, in terms of an evolving sort of human. I, mean, I think back to the old patent issues we had with, if it was a thing, it was patentable, but if it was software, it wasn't. And then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, the software looks a whole lot like a machine. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, now software is patentable. Are we going to go through that same? stupid evolution again or can we learn and <laughs> and and start more with a maybe an outcome based as opposed to a technological or artificial distinction and is well, it old can old people even do that as as Pete pointed out money drives a lot of the development of the law so look where the money is and look what needs to be protected for economic reasons, and that can allow you to predict where the law might be going. Because, you know, there was some a lot of pushback in patenting living things, but when genetically modified food started, Monsanto really pushed on that, and they got it, and now they hold tons of patents on genetically modified food products. Um, so. You know, the, that's an example of look where the money is and you'll know where the law is going. Is there such a thing as a DNR for implantables like do not remove instead of do not resuscitate? No. Just says it's making my EMT mind think that way. There, yeah. It doesn't exist today. I'll tell you that. Okay. Yeah. If, if you if you had one, would it be enforced? Is it is it is it does that is fall it into the area that's not necessarily legal, or is it just neutral? Because if it was neutral, you would think if you had one, that it would be enforceable if it doesn't violate any laws or anything. That's an interesting estate planning question. Okay. So let's have a hand for our discussants. Now we'd like to put out a special thanks to Austin's own Borgfest and Body Hacking Con for sharing with us the recording. 
in order to publish this very interesting content. If you would like to know more about this conference, go to bodyhackingcon.com. Remember, once again, when you purchase your ticket, please use coupon code DANGEROUSMINDS. This will get you 10% off your purchase. Plus, if you're in the Austin area, please be sure to check out Borkfest's meetup group by going to meetup.com slash Borgfest dash meetup dash group to learn more about these exciting topics that they cover. But as always, dear listeners, you can check out the DMP homepage at www.dangerousminds.io or go to Facebook and search for the Dangerous Minds podcast. All of us want to thank you for joining in as we explore further the tech and the people behind it within this fastly growing community of grinding, biohacking, and implantable technology today. Please feel free to reach out to us with questions or comments, and perhaps one day we will talk to you about the work and our projects you're exploring and developing. But until next week, seek the spark. Project won't compile, it'll be alright Computer science for life, and that's my direction Instead of be bows, my home is throw exceptions